This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. I am super excited and honored about what we have in store today. This is not common for our show. There's a couple of really cool things that are happening here, and I'm just super excited to introduce the two guests that we have in our virtual studio today. I want to start off with introducing Denise Pearson. Denise Pearson, if you don't know, you need to know she is a chief marketing officer at Snowflake. Snowflake is this really itty bitty, massively, hugely successful cloud data platform. And and Snowflake is the fastest growing enterprise tech company in the world to reach a billion dollars in revenue. In 2020, this company completed the largest software IPO in the history on the New York Stock Exchange. And also Denise has been a marketing leader, a CMO for companies like Apogee and On24. She's also served as the executive vice president of marketing for Genesis. Denise, welcome to Marketing Trends. Thank you, Jeremy. Great to be here with you today. Super excited. Now, on the note of NYSE, I would be remiss if I didn't introduce our next epic guest, Stephanie Dobbs-Brown. Stephanie, you might remember her. She actually came on the show last year at the end of 2022. Stephanie is the Chief Marketing Officer at the Intercontinental Exchange, better known as ICE, ICE ICE.com. They are a huge Fortune 500 data and tech company. They are the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange. And she, as I mentioned, was on our show. We talked about a lot of things, including her role in leading all aspects of the rebrand and repositioning. And and Stephanie has basically spent her career building brands and global enterprises. So she's got a couple of decades of experience and she's leading the the helm over there at, at ICE. And so super excited, Stephanie. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Oh, I'm so excited. And Stephanie, you I was telling you before we hopped on here, you join a very small list of CMOs that have made a second appearance on the show. There's like, since me hosting over the past three years, there's only been two. Oh, You're the wow. second that's come on twice. Well, so we're you. super stoked to have you. Yeah. And Denise, I mean, your reputation precedes you. I'm so honored to have you. I'm, we're certain that you have a lot of things that you're committed to. And so the fact that you made time, we say thank you for that. Super grateful. So let's start with just, uh, I'd like each of you to just share, because the world is moving so rapidly, you both know that very well. I've had the privilege of interacting with a ton of CMOs over the past three years, but it seems like every time I'm connecting with a CMO, 
things are changing. New technology, AI, I mean, all kinds of challenges and, and opportunities with hiring and growth and all the things. I just want to hear from each of you with kind of what's on top for you right now? What are you excited about right now? What are you interested in right now? And I'll go to you, Denise, first, and then Stephanie, please follow up. First, don't forget, we have a big user conference coming up here in four weeks. So right now it's all summit time for us. It's crunch time. We're all working around the clock to make this our best, you know, summit, you know, ever. Also at summit this year, we have a big um, event taking place together with the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, today we have uh, we have our third annual um, Snowflake Challenge going on in partnership with the New York Stock Exchange, and uh, this is a competition for data startups, and they're competing for a prize of a million dollar in um, funding from Snowflake wow. Inventors. So that's something I'm really excited about. Are you excited about this, Stephanie? <laughs> <laughs> I, I am. We've been excited all year uh, in in prepping for it. So yeah, that's been a really big focus. We've been partnering with Snowflake for the last year uh, to get ready for uh, to get ready for for the conference and unveiling the winners. Um, and for us at, at ICE and the New York Stock Exchange, it's actually been kind of nice because we're walking into the summer, which will take a little bit of a breath uh, because our uh, our winter and spring tends to be really, really busy. And then it picks up again for us uh, in the fall. But in terms of uh, in terms of the partnership, we have been heads down, uh, just really excited about about bringing that to life. Wow, that's amazing. When is this kicking off, Denise? It's June 26th through June 29th. And uh, okay. again, in regards to the Snowflake um, Challenge, we had over 600 startups applying this year. And uh, we identified 10 finalists together with the New York Stock Exchange. And now three finalists are going to battle, battle it out at that summit. Mm, <laughs> I love that. That's so awesome. So I, you know, I, as I mentioned, I've had the, the privilege of connecting with Stephanie before. Denise, now it's our first time connecting with you. But you both specifically are, you know, deeply experienced in the role of CMO. And your resume speaks for itself. I mean, there, you know, it should just say like growth next to your names because you both know growth. And I'm curious about just your your opinion on what it takes to stay on top of your game as a CMO right now. You know, you, you both have a ton of success. Like I said, your resume speaks for yourself. And it's like every day, I would argue it's like, you know, still fighting for positioning, fighting to be on top. So in 2023, heading into the summer, as Stephanie mentioned, I want to hear from each of you of just like what it means to be a modern day CMO right now. And how do you stay on top of your game? First, first to you, Stephanie. Yeah, I mean, I think for for me, it's always been about being really curious and just always, always staying curious about what's next and what's happening specifically around innovation and technology. And sometimes that's relevant to marketing and sometimes it's not. But I think having that mindset is really helpful. I think also not being afraid to take some risks and try things. I mean, there's tons of things that are always happening and and lots of new tools and, and ways of working. And I'm sure we'll get into AI, but you know, there's a bit of that, that you have to just take a risk. But I think the third thing is really around how do you take a calculated risk and how do you do it so it's aligned to your business objectives? And I always say your best friend as a marketer has to be your CFO and next in line has to be your head of technology. I think it's really hard to be successful, um, certainly from my perspective as a CMO, without those two broad relationships and also just understanding, you know, what are the business objectives? What are we all trying to achieve? And then certainly, you know, 
what are the new things uh, or things that we can test that can just help us accelerate some of that? Mm. Denise, how about you? I think uh, to succeed as a CMO, I think you need to be absolutely passionate about what you do because you need so much energy to succeed in this uh, role. So yeah, you have to love you know what you do. I think that uh, is really applicable to anything you kind of do, right? You need so much energy at this time. So uh, that passion is so important. And then uh, also learning every day. I mean, uh, if you're passionate about what you do, you're also, you also want to learn more about, you know, what you do. So I think uh, constant learning, you know, every day, again, coming back to that curiosity that Stephanie talked about as well. Uh, again, the marketing is changing, I think, every every quarter, right? If there's something new and you have to make sense of what is really real and, you know, what is what is not. Because there's going to be a lot of things that won't work, you know, either. And you need to be so efficient, you know, with your time as well. And I think if there's anything we have learned uh, during the past couple of years is, you know, that adaptability is the superpower in business today. So I think you have to be very prepared to be uh, adaptable and and flexible and open to all these new things as well. Mm, I love those two examples. And specifically, I'd like to double click into learning, Denise and and Stephanie, if you have follow up there. What are you learning about right now? What are you what are you interested in right now? Well, I mean, the big topic, of course, right now is around, you know, generative, you know, AI. It's about, you know, how are you going to take your, your data to the next level in your organization? So there's a lot for us to learn. I think there's new, new content. Uh, there are new, you know, applications, you know, coming to us as marketers, you know, every single day. And uh, you also have to decide on, okay, how much time are you going to invest in this now? And and try different things. I mean, we we uh, always try to have that um, flexibility on the marketing team to try new things. So there are a couple of teams, of course, across our uh, global market organization that are testing things in generative AI right now. So I think we need to have a lot of you know curiosity around that now as well and see kind of where is it going to be applicable um, to marketing today. Mm. Yeah, same for us. You know, we... Um, it's not been surprising with a bunch of marketers how many people have just wanted to jump in and you know play around and sort of see but we've we've tested a few things as it, even with chatgpt just you know so we're marketing ourselves like this what would chat say and it's been really eye opening just to kind of sort of play around and tinker with things like that um, but it's i agree with i agree with denise it's really just around testing and sort of seeing what works and also i think it's been actually interesting as a leader seeing who on the team has just had a natural desire to just sort of jump in and, and test new things and not necessarily be afraid of them, which I think is, you know, the other side of the coin around this. Super interesting. I also want to put a pin to Stephanie and what you mentioned about uh, connecting with the CFO and the head of, and the head of tech. And I think building, establishing trusted rapport with the executive leadership team is a masterful skill. And especially in your role as a CMO, um, and I want to get to AI, but I want to I want to go back to that because I think this is something that a lot of CMOs bring up in the boardroom. And I've had, the again, the privilege of connecting with many of them in the Fortune 1000. And when they start talking about their approach to building trust and the importance of reaching across the aisle and building that rapport 
And Denise, look, I mean, you've had to, you know, you hopped into a rocket ship that still has not slowed down where the speed of trust and the speed of rapport just seems to be very meaningful for you as well. So I'd love to hear from each of you just around, yeah, your approach to building trust, you know, we've had with these certain stakeholders. And again, maybe an example, what's worked well in doing that? Because other CMOs I know are always wanting to brush up on these skills and be really good at that. So we just love your opinions and experience on how are you building trust with the ELT and, and what's working well? Yeah. Stephanie, you first. So my point of view on, on those relationships is they're critically important, but I think that it's actually just as important to build relationships across an entire organization as much as, as it is around, around that call, call it executive management team. And I think because so much of marketing, I always say to my team that, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily legal where we can just go in with a directive all the time and just say, you have to do this. This is why we're going to do this. And even in those instances where you might be able to, there's so much value in getting people bought into the why that we're doing something. Why are we, you know, we went through a a massive rebrand over the last 18 months and have been putting a lot of new work into the marketplace and a lot of new partnerships. And it was a real shift in strategy and uh, approach. And there was risk associated with that. And we spent a lot of time as a marketing team, certainly myself, uh, just getting buy-in, you know, on wanting to do this. But then as we started to put the work in market to really make sure that everybody from the legal teams to the sales teams, to uh, our compliance teams, to our product teams were bought in and excited about the work that we were doing. And I think that that's really important. I think in terms of the trust, I always say it's important, you know, if you're talking to the CFO, what a CFO might care about is going to be really different than what your CEO might care about or what your CTO might care about. And I think that understanding what they care about from a business objective is important, but actually also understanding them enough on what makes them tick as a human is really, really helpful. Uh, because ultimately, you know, to Denise's point, right, you have to be passionate around what you do and everybody, you know, is wired a certain way. And I think the more you can tap into that as a marketer, to me, the more successful you'll be. Mm. Denise. No, I think one of the main reasons why we've been growing so fast, I mean, in, in addition to having an incredible you know, product and uh, the growth of the market, et cetera, is the incredible alignment we have across our you know, organization and the trust you know, we have at the leadership team. And I think trust, I mean, you will only gain trust you know, through your, your actions and having the, the, the right you know, intentions sharing the same, you know, focus and, and objectives and actually uh, living up to the things that you say that you're going to do. I think trust uh, among, you know, leaders on a management team is similar to the trust we're building with all the people, you know, we interact with. Do again, do we have the right, uh, again, intentions? And um, are we executing on the things that we say that we're going to to do? How do you cover when 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 marketing misses the mark right when hey we we've aligned on goals we've you know we've said we're going to do these things and, and you know sometimes those things get done sometimes they don't how do you take ownership as the marketing leader in an organization and we'd just love to hear yeah, your thoughts on that when when you miss the mark or when you don't get it right since integrity is so important um how do you how do you keep that keep that going and I think it comes back to what you just said, you know, ownership, right? You, you own it and um, own it is actually one of our, mm. our core values. I mean, our values really uh, is the foundation, you know, for, for our culture. And um, again, anytime someone starts blaming others, you've lost it. 
right? You know, if you're a team, you don't blame other um, people, right, on the team for making a mistake or right to take an ownership and um, you commit to making it right. I mean, that's what you do. I mean, uh, again, it's the same thing, you know, in in sport, right? If you miss something, you don't start blaming other people, you know, on your team, right? Then again, then you lose that trust. And you, you lose that, you know, confidence that they have in you. So uh, I think it comes back to not being defensive. I think we all have a tendency to be defensive, right? I mean, nobody likes to get, you know, criticism. But, right, when you when you take it in and, and listen and then take action, I mean, that's how you can get that uh, trust built. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think the sooner the sooner you know and the sooner you address it, the better. I think there's nothing more detrimental than sort of sitting on that information and not, not sharing it or not disclosing it. And I agree with Denise, just, you got to just own it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, clearly, you know, taking accountability, it's, it's, it's a big piece. And and I think that I don't think either of you would be where you are if you didn't have, if you didn't take accountability for the mistakes and learn from that. And it's clear. I mean, again, the track record speaks for itself. Um, amazing. I love that. Um, circling back to AI a little bit here. And I really want to hear from you both on this. Um, you know, we, we see that AI is offering significant benefits, right? We know that Denise, you talked about some of the stuff earlier in the prep about what you're doing internally there, but to each of you, what role in your opinion does like human creativity and empathy and strategic thinking play in developing effective marketing strategies like with AI? How does that weave, weave into your worlds and either one of you can go. And I think let me start is that, I mean, I think the best marketing combines the science, right? Using data with the art and, and creativity as well. So I think you need both. And also when you build, you know, marketing teams, you need both those type of personalities on your team as well. You need those who are highly analytical and process driven and, and looking at uh, how we're actually going to implement, you know, this idea. But you also need those people who who have an enormous amount you know, of, of creativity and um, empathy and uh, on how to get your message across to your audience in a more creative way. I think great marketing requires you to be bold and stand out and do things differently. You're not doing that through science only. You're doing that you know, through creativity. Mm. Agreed. I th- you know, there's a case to be made, I suppose, that at some in some future state can... AI bring that together to a certain extent, maybe. I still believe that human touch and that human understanding and human, that strategic thinking and empathy is you just, it's hard to kind of recreate that in a machine. Um, I do think that, look, there's elements, certainly from our perspective in terms of, you know, we've been pressure testing some creative and there are some interesting things like that. But actually what was the real big takeaway was some of the most creative minds that we have on our team are the ones that are playing with it. Not only are they getting really fired up, but it's actually taking work that's already really good coming out of a human and then saying, okay, what could we do that I just wouldn't have been able to think about or that my team wasn't thinking about? So I think that there's there are some elements around kind of pushing the work, but I completely agree with Denise. I think that human element, the empathy, the feeling, the kindness, the being able to sort of address different types of personality to infuse the data and then actually make that so personal and human, which I think we all have sort of felt post-2020 is so important as marketers, right? So you have to be human. And I think that it's hard to see that going away anytime soon. 
And also I like to add that, I mean, creativity happens when many people, you know, come together, right? I mean, in most cases in marketing, yeah. there's one person who comes up with one idea, but that's not exactly what's going to, you know, work, right? But then there are other people who, who you know, adds on to that idea and that's how you get to the, uh, to the uh, idea that is going to, you know, work at the end of the day. Yep, agreed. Has ChatGPT impacted or helped your role as CMO in any way? Like, are you using it for emails, responding to things or to get ideas or anything like just you personally as a CMO? If so, maybe what's an example of how it's been interesting to you as a CMO to test and try things in your role specifically? I I haven't used it specifically in terms of emails or to help. Like I said, in terms of we've been pressure testing it with the team just to look at we've been putting messaging out or creative. What can it do? You know, how is it sort of approaching things? One thing we have started to do, which I think has been interesting, is when we interview people, we ask uh, how have they used it and what is their um, their response or how do they feel about it? And it's been so interesting because I think it's easy to ask, like, what's your opinion on AI? But what we have found is trying to really get into creative roles and asking them how they've, how they've used ChatGPT. It's been sort of this um, interesting takeaway where if, if you're not using it, you know, are you missing that curiosity chip a little bit? You know, why haven't you wanted to play around with it? And it sort of has spurred a lot of other questions in an interview process. So mm. a tip if you're planning to interview with us. Awesome. Awesome. Anything on that, uh, Denise? Yeah, for us, uh, in terms of generative AI, it's been more around, you know, testing and, and playing around with it. And um, I think, um, for instance, for marketing research, I remember back in the days 30 years ago, when I was maybe uh, putting together a um, list of prospects, for instance, right? I wanted to look at, okay, you know, give me the 100 largest companies in Texas, right? And you had to do that all manually. Now you go in, in two seconds, you have that list with uh, with uh, phone numbers and uh, website address, all of that, right? I mean, um, these are things we could never even imagine would be possible, right? I mean, uh you know, years ago. But um, for us, I mean, we've been, um, we're using AI, I mean, uh, extensively, you know, within our marketing, primarily for predictive, you know, forecasting. For us in B2B marketing is absolutely essential for us to have a, a complete view of our sales, you know, pipeline. And the more we can predict what the pipeline is going to look like in different territories, the better that we can apply resources and programs into those regions and territories that need it. So um, again, uh, in marketing, right, the big challenge always is, you know, which marketing is going to go to waste and where is it going to you know, have impact? So for us to be able to forecast, for instance, yes, you know, uh, our Southwest territory in six months, they are not going to have uh, the right amount of pipeline, for instance. That now enables us to go in and really invest those marketing resources in that territory today, instead of being there six months from now and realize, okay, what do we do now? And it's too late to do something. So I think that has been absolutely critical for us. And uh, we've been building these uh, machine learning models for years. I mean, these models need to be trained and, and, and tested. Right. You cannot just trust these models and um, and use that direction without doing that uh, adequate um, put that adequate time of testing into these models as well. So the big use case for us has been around uh, forecasting mm. sales pipeline. Okay, okay. I'm curious, Denise. You know, 
learning a bit about you from what you've shared, you know, on the internet, you've done a few interviews and I've seen, you know, obviously again, your track record speaks for itself, epic team surrounding you. And I'm curious, like you've certainly had the opportunity to connect with a lot of CMOs, right? In your career. And I would argue that you probably know some of the best in the world at what they do. And Stephanie, you can tune into this one too, if, if, if you have a response here as well, um, because the same with your level of growth. But Denise, are there things that you've seen other top level CMOs do where like they go right and you go left? You know, where like it's kind of this common thing that maybe three or four of your best friend CMOs are, have this approach to something, but like you actually do something that's completely different. Does anything pop up around like unorthodox ways that you lead or things that you do that just is unique to you um, that you feel like maybe not every CMO does? Uh, you started talking about, you know, trust in, in the beginning of our conversation here. And I don't think there's anything more important than the alignment you have with the rest of the leadership team. And especially in B2B marketing, that alignment you have with your sales uh, organization. And in most cases, in many companies, there's a constant kind of battle between, uh, between sales and marketing. Sales is blaming marketing for some things. Marketing is blaming sales for something. It just doesn't work. Again, a team doesn't you know, blame each other for things. A team has the exact same objective. They share the exact same focus and they're both going in the same you know, direction. So that partnership with sales is the most, I think is the most critical partnership you can have uh, as, um, as a CMO. And especially in the B2B world, and in this enterprise tech world we are in, our products are sold through a sales organization, right? They're not sold, you know, through through our website only, which is the case, you know, for some companies, especially in the consumer world. So our job is really to make the selling process as easy as possible. That's what I need to focus on every day. Here at Snowflake, marketing owns, you know, the sales, you know, pipeline. And that's really the alignment wow. point with, with sales. We don't own uh, an MQL number, for instance. In MQL numbers, we mm. can easily turn up and turn down or, or tune that. And MQL doesn't mean much to sales. What they need is qualified meetings on their calendar with the right prospects, and they need sales pipeline. So that's really how we align with the sales organization. So um, I, uh, one of our five core marketing pillars that we, we use on the marketing team is driving that in insane alignment with the sales organization. Sometimes that's a personality clash, right? There's some, some personalities mm. that don't sort of, you know, gel with each other. So you also need to make sure that, again, you have people on the marketing organization that is good at, again, working with other people. And sometimes those people that are very analytical, you know, process-driven, the scientific people on the marketing team, they sometimes are not that good at managing that relationship. So we even do personality testing on the marketing team. And we are Ooh. seeing that those people that are more at the forefront working with the sales organization, you know, that's our field marketing team, for instance, they have that jello personality. So they're much more, much, much better at working with different personalities, right? And then the Magian folks are really more, more in the back office, if you will, they're making sure, you know, that the whole uh, operations, you know, is working. But that's that's what I've seen. There's sometimes amazing marketers are so good at what they're doing, but they're not maybe that great at managing that relationship with sales. So again, coming back to, you need to have that diversity, 
you know, of minds on your marketing team as well to managing all these different relationships. Mm. What personality tests are you are all using? Insights uh, Discovery. We've been using that programs for a year, and I can I recommend it to everyone because it's not only again understanding the entire team, but it's also understanding yourself. And I think to succeed, mm. we talked about that as well. To succeed as a marketer, you need to know what are really my own strengths. And sometimes we don't really know. I mean, that can take you a lifetime to really learn, right, who you are and what your strengths and weaknesses and your passions are. So the more you can also learn about yourself, right, you can... Uh, you can use, that's very useful, but also as a leader, you need to surround yourself with people that are looking completely opposite, right, from yourself. I don't, I don't hire anyone with the same profile or brain like myself. Mm, okay. And Stephanie, so a lot there you can, you can dive into either, you know, uh, maybe different things that you do as a CMO that other CMOs may do. You could also double click into, you know, sales and marketing alignment. I know we've talked a little bit about that before, but please share. Yeah, I mean, we, we have talked about it before. I do think there's that that alignment, regardless if it's sales and marketing, you know, or other parts of the business, is so so critical. And I think for us, one of the one of the things that we have to think about is, you know, we have three really large business units within our organization, and actually all of them are quite different. So we have our exchanges, which is comprised primarily of our futures exchanges, but also of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, you know, and actually those two require different things and have different teams that are supporting them. We have a fixed income and data services business, which is primarily data. And then we have a mortgage technology business. And when I first joined the approach in, in how I had started to think about it early on was, you know, how can we centralize things? How can we make things more consistent? How can we make things more efficient? And as we've grown, what we have found is that, yes, where we can find consistency and efficiency, let's absolutely do it. And we have centralized uh, team members that can do that within marketing. But we also have team members who are dedicated to those business units. And what we look for, and Denise touched on this, is not just the marketing chops to be able to support that business and understand the different industries that they um, that they serve, but also the cultural um, nuances of those teams. So we're an incredibly acquisitive organization. And with that comes a lot of different cultures that we've had to mesh within the ICE culture, which is also a, a very strong culture. We've had a lot of the same leadership. Our CEO and founder uh, is still our CEO. Um, and many of the people who helped uh, launch ICE 25 years ago are still here. And so We've spent a lot of time as a marketing leadership team, certainly over the last 18 to two years, 18 months to two years, around looking at what are the culture fits within those, those marketing teams and the businesses or the sales teams, as well as, you know, who do we want within, you know, what are the skills we want within marketing and then who fits within the ICE culture. And I do think that that can be overlooked sometimes with a lot of companies who are hyper-focused on growth. You don't necessarily think about those soft skills and the personality and, and what's needed, but I think that that is what makes it. Uh, a good marketing organization so successful. Mm, super interesting. Um, love both of those answers. And in, in the kind of in the vein of, of culture and growth, uh, Denise, first to you here, you know, you have this culture at Snowflake. You've, you've had a culture there. You've also had just an accelerated growth where, you know, a lot of people have come on. The growth has continued up into the right. And how do you maintain that culture? How do you keep the essence of what the beauty of what it was in the beginning all the way to what it is now? Because I would imagine, as Stephanie kind of alluded to, it's like you have all these people coming in and sometimes you might 
you need to have the seat filled because you have to have this thing done, but then that also might change the culture, right? A little bit. And so how, how do you kind of manage culture through explosive growth? Because both of you have experience there. What is your approach there? And how do you lean on your teams or, or, or your strategies? How do you do that? I think the most important thing I've seen is to not, not tolerate any exceptions, right? To the culture. Because uh, if we look at our culture, I mean, our culture is really based on eight you know, core values. And those eight values were developed by the 51st employees here. So it was probably back in exactly about 10 years ago in the 2013 you know, time frame. And those values are exactly the same um, today's. But again, you can put all these values, you know, on the walls, you know, every every day, but if everywhere in your in your office and all that. But if you're not executing on those every day, they're not gonna not gonna work. Or again, if you're tolerating those exceptions, and I think we've seen that in every organization that there's been someone who's not been perfectly living these, you know, values. It could be someone who's not treating other people, you know, well, or uh, uh, who's just simply not a culture fit. But maybe their performance, their performance might be great. This might be a sales leader who is, uh, who is um, constantly, you know, out, outperforming, right? And then we might accept sometimes those, you know, the wrong behaviors. I think what we've done well here at Snowflake is, again, not tolerating any kind of, of um, deviation, you know, of our values. So we've had people who have been incredible performers from a result standpoint, with the way of which they've been doing things have not been aligned with our values and those people are not you know, here today. So if you really don't accept those behaviors, your values and your culture really becomes an antidote to those people who are not really a good fit you know, for your um, culture. And again, our culture isn't you know, the right culture you know, for, um, for everyone. And I think that's also a key thing you know, as a CMO or when you join any company is really to understand what is that culture and is this the right you know culture for for me mm. yeah well and those values matter so much because they just serve as checkpoints i think for people during the interview process i think during uh certainly for you know when we make acquisitions it's really easy to talk about the technology or the business being a good fit with ice but we also look at what is the culture particularly of a leadership team when we're looking at um, a potential acquisition, and, and we've talked very publicly about this, and you'll hear us say, you know, we love this this management team. We're so excited about this acquisition because it, the culture really fits well with ICE. And I I um, I agree with Denise that really understanding the truly the culture of the organization, and every culture has good, and every culture might have uh, some stuff that might not be so good for everybody. But I think just being okay with the fact that the culture is not going to be the right fit for everybody, and when it's not, move on quickly. Mm. Yeah. Wow, and I think a good good point you made there, Stephanie, in regards to acquisitions. Was how many times have we not seen two companies, uh, and they talk about this merger of, of of equals, and they might be the same size, but the cultures are so vastly different. So, um, and then this acquisition, you know, won't live up to its promise for customers and and everyone and everything, you know, fails. So. Uh, Again, acquisitions and integrating, you know, new companies. Again, it's so important that that culture fit is there from from the beginning. Yeah, well, and that integration, like a quick integration, whether it's an acquisition or onboarding somebody, I think those quick integrations matter. 
That's super interesting. We just this week we were chatting with our CEO about there was a company that we we know that acquired a small SaaS company with about 100 employees. And after the acquisition, about 80% of them left, you know, and it was like it was obvious that there was a culture clash there and then people said I'm out. And that can be detriment I mean that can be detrimental to the acquisition. They can, you know, do lots of things and so just to yeah, again, to nail that down how important that is to get that right. I mean, it's just there's a really art there's an art to that, I think. Um, especially on the acquisition side. That's super interesting. Well, a small company too, I think can be harder to integrate mm. than a large company. And I think, mm. especially from a marketing perspective, because when okay. you acquire a small company, there's just such an affinity towards the brand and the marketing. And and so, you know, I think that there are also differences in terms of the size of, the, of an acquisition and that, that integration. Good point. Good point. Um, okay. So I have like 150 more questions. We're not going to get to all those questions. I want to get into... A little bit about positioning, because both of you have an expertise in positioning. So we'll get into that and then we'll get into the lightning round. We'll wrap up this amazing conversation Um, in terms of positioning. Kind of Stephanie to you first. I mean, you went through a really big rebrand. We talked about this a bit. And and Denise, to kind of if you could think about this as well in terms of positioning in the market. Stephanie, can you just elaborate on the importance of positioning and marketing and how that really sets the foundation for the marketing strategy? How did you approach kind of defining ISIS position in the market? Talk us through that. And then we'd love to hear from you, Denise, as well. Yeah. So, you know, we had gone through a, a large rebrand over the last over the last couple of years. And like any good marketing, as Denise said, right, starts with data. So we did a ton of customer research. We actually did a lot of employee research. We did a lot of general uh, general market research um, because we came into it with a lot of people internally saying, we know what customers think of us. We know what the market thinks of us. Um, and so we said, maybe, then let's just validate it. But you know, for us, there were a few things that kind of jumped out at, at what we were looking to do in, in terms of positioning. One was, you know, our name, our full name is Intercontinental Exchange. We go by ICE. And there were a lot of questions uh, over the last few years around, should we change the name of ICE? There's confusion with Homeland Security. There's confusion with frozen water. You know, should we change it? And in doing research, what we found is actually 80% of our brand equity sits in our ICE logo with the three letters. And so just having that piece of data allowed us to say, okay, we have all these brands that we've acquired let's go through an exercise and let's collapse them all. So we, we collapsed uh, about 45 different brands. We went through, we're still making our way through um, collapsing thousands of product names. I mean, thousands of product names um, to make them much more consistent and laddering up to ICE. We rebranded the New York Stock Exchange to bring that closer to ICE. So it's now NYSC and ICE Exchange. And so that was first. I mean, for us, there was just real like house, housekeeping that had to happen in terms of just the brand hierarchy. We then went and did a lot of research around. So what is the connecting sort of thread between all of the different businesses? And at the end of the day, we bring buyers and sellers together and we are agnostic to what those platforms are, but that's what we do. And we'll, we'll take our data, our technology, the expertise that we've had, and we will make that work. And that's why we've been so successful with our acquisitions. But we needed to really sort of get to that sort of emotional element of the role that we play, like the why. And that was so much around opportunity when you think about the role that we play in the global markets. And it's really around helping people create opportunity. Um, And so that's where we came up with our our, full positioning platform that everything started to, to come off of. And, you know, for, for us at ICE and certainly in past experiences that I've had, having strong positioning is not just 
a North Star for customers and for the external, but I think it also really helps employees. It helps with recruitment. You know, a strong uh, positioning platform and a strong brand platform, I think, can really uh, have a positive knock-on effect to everything within the organization in terms of uh, in terms of growth. Awesome. Denise, yeah, just in terms of how did Snowflake approach defining its position in the market? Yeah. And we talked before uh, about the fact that the values are the uh, foundation for your culture and your positioning, of course, is your the foundation for everything you do in marketing. And I like to add that I think the most important thing is consistency. And I think especially in the world of tech, the biggest mistake marketers do is that they're shifting their positioning every single quarter. Every single quarter, there's a new message coming out because the world of tech is changing so fast. So everyone is just trying to kind of change their positioning and attach themselves to the latest, you know, buzzword, right, in that in that industry. Or your CEO might be meeting with a customer's uh, customer that day and comes, comes back to and say, hey, Denise, I think we should do this now, right? I mean, those things are happening especially um, at the startup interface. But that consistency is so important because just like Alriz talked about in his, uh, in his um, legendary book. Great book. Great book. Great book. Every marketer needs to, to read it. Uh, positioning is a battle of, of the customers in a mind, right? And the only way to win that battle is through extreme you know, consistency. And uh, sometimes we on the market side, some people get tired of things. Oh, this doesn't work. And again, they try something new. But being incredibly consistent everywhere, across every channel you have. And this means that you also need to make sure your partners are, are describing you the, in the right way. We talked about the importance of consistency in, in your, your culture. The same thing here. If you say something on, on the marketing side and the sales team say something else or your partners describe you in a different way, I mean, then you're, you're failing from a positioning standpoint. So again, it's about coming back to that alignment, right? Everyone within your organization, again, your partners, also the media, right? How are, how are, are journalists describing you? Often journalists might be using some old description, right, that they have about you that was valid maybe two years ago, right? And they're using that one because they're doing a lot of copy, copying, pasting, you know, today as well. But you really need to measure the success of your positioning in terms of that consistency. And when you have the consistency, it's, of course, all about frequency. How often does this show up? So I think that that's, uh, if I've learned one thing in regards to positioning, is that it's about consistency and, and frequency. And I've made all the mistakes in the book possible, you know, before at the you know, previous <laughs> company. So uh, took me 25 years maybe to learn it. But again, uh, that's my, my, my advice. Again, extreme consistency. And then it's just around building frequency around that. Mm, I, I just, I love it. Both of the answers, just many, I call them mic drop, mic drop moments. I mean, this whole conversation has just been Amazing. So bravo to you both. And we're honored. We're so excited to release this to the wild uh, in a couple of weeks. And just thank you so much for being here. Let's jump into a couple of fun lightning round questions and then we'll wrap. Denise, question to you. If you could only use one social media platform for the rest of your life, which one would it be and why? I do like LinkedIn a lot. Um, actually, I think, I think LinkedIn is where I see most valuable content from me. Uh, because I think I use social mostly from a business context. I do prefer to meet my friends in person if, if I can. So uh, yeah, uh, I, I like LinkedIn. I think they've done a really good job. 
Okay. Uh, Stephanie, if you had to describe your marketing style as a song, which, which song would it be? If you can, if you can dream it, you can do it. I think it's from Disney. Fantastic. Um, Stephanie, back to you. If you could have a celebrity endorse your brand, who would be your dream spokesperson? The Rock. I love that answer. (laughs) Whatever Um, he touches turns to gold. So I would just, I would just be happy with it. That's fantastic. Oh, that's great. Uh, Denise, um, what's the weirdest or most unconventional marketing tactic you've ever tried and did it work? Um, some, of, some of them works, but that comes back to that creativity and testing. I think one of the things that I think was very cool that we did last year and um, was uh, we did a complete takeover of uh, Burj Khalifa in, in Dubai. Ooh. And uh, I was in Dubai two years ago and um, sitting at one of those restaurants in front of Burj Khalifa and they had this incredible um, show, right? It's, it's a video animation across the whole uh, building, right? And again, it's the tallest uh, building in the world. And they're using a lot of new technology for this. And I was just thinking, wow, it would be so cool to do something for Snowflake um, on the on the tower. And then... Uh, um, I talked to our field marketing manager about it and she said, yeah, 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 let, let's, let's do it. I have some contacts with the MR. MR is the, is the owner of, of the building. And then two wow. months later, we did that complete kind of, it's like a five minute show that we did. And it was in from a social then uh, experiment, from a social platform experiment, it was the most effective, um, creative, you know, creation we've ever done. So that was a fun, uh, cool thing. Cool. I love that. That's so cool. Okay. Last question goes to you, Stephanie. If you could have any superpower to enhance your marketing abilities, what would it be and how would you use it? Ooh, if I could have any superpower to enhance our marketing, (laughs) AI. (laughs) Okay. I love it. And we know why just because it's everywhere and it's, that could be the the answer to, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Cool. Well, this has been exceptional. Uh, we're honored to have you in our in our space. We're honored that you both took time today. Uh, we wish both of you tremendous, much more success. And that is possible for both of you. So we know the story is still being written in both of your careers. So Denise, we really appreciate you being here today. Stephanie, so good to see you again. And thank you both for being a part of Marketing Trends. Thank you. It's been an honor to be here with you too. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Awesome.